This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to A Complete History of Manchester United. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and films. Joined, as always, on this journey by the legendary football writer, Paddy Barclay, author of the definitive biography of Matt Busby, or the man who made a football club. I've done the plug this week, so Paddy Thank doesn't you. need to do it. Thank um, you. Well, I, listen, we haven't got time for me to plug all your books. Um, <laughs> absolutely not suffice it to say that anybody listening to this will probably be aware that Wayne Barton uh, is a prolific writer of wonderful uh, books about Manchester United and Manchester United related subjects uh, and one of the very best um, is one that I'm reading at the moment true, well I just finished actually just uh, True Genius about George Best, it's absolutely great but there's plenty more to come uh, from Wayne Barton. It's a guarantee of quality, in my opinion, but I'm biased. Okay. The, the gratitude and platitudes are over. Um, uh, yeah, we can actually well, talk about Manchester United now. Absolutely. and But they're not quite over just yet. So if you're watching the video, please give us a like and subscribe and join in the conversation in the comment section. You don't need to tell us how great we are. Just say something about the, the video, talk about um, the, the contents, ask us questions about that, and we're happy to join in and answer yeah, it. That's what, what I must admit, that's one of the really nice things that people uh, do um, come up with constructive suggestions, comments, amplifications of the things that we do, and it's greatly appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're listening back on the audio podcast as well, be sure to subscribe, give us a review on the platform that you're listening on. Paddy, you're quite right. This is a, a momentous occasion for Manchester United this season. And it's a, in a way, I mean, yes, all right, the Busby regime has been building to this, but we as a series have been building to this from day one, basically, with all the construction of the Crickmer, Gibson, Rocker, all that era, hiring Busby, the grand plans that were put in place. I mean, even we talked about his globalisation of Manchester United and coming on the back of the season. You mentioned at the back end of the previous show that United went back to America. They had that infamous um, incident with um, John Fitzpatrick and Jimmy Ryan trying to wrangle more money. Normally, that kind of incident would um, result in one or two of them getting the chops, but it goes to show that maybe 
a little bit of um, Busby's more mellow side, maybe that he yeah. saw the humorous side of it. They, those players might have been kicked out before, but now they're a vital part of the squad. I think he knew. Um, the, the story was, of course, that that John Fitzpatrick had been in Jimmy Ryan's ear. You know, the two Scottish lads on the plane going out. The players had obviously wound them up. The senior players had wound the, these two young lads up. Told them they were getting two thousand pounds each, uh, just for spending money on this tour of America that they were going to go on in the, before the season sixty-seven, eight that we're talking about. And, and so John Fitzpatrick's, you know, really wound up by this. The players saying that they've they've been given the senior players saying being given two thousand pounds each, and and Jim and 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 John had been given a hundred each, spending money. And um, so when they finally get to New York, Fitzy says, yeah, but we've got to go and see the boss, you know, and, and, and get parity. You know, we, we were first team players. I mean, I, I had four games, uh, John Fitzpatrick said, you know, before I did my cartilage. So I was in the team, you know, who he was keeping out. Maybe, I um, can't remember, but it wouldn't have been Paddy Crerin, but, you know, somebody good. And, and Jim had, I think, six or seven games so anyway um they, when they get to new york they settle into their room and and and, and they go back and knock on on busby's door and he comes out in a dressing gown and says boys yes what can i do for you and john fitzpatrick went to jim and says jim wants to have a word with you <laughs> and, and he's, anyway jim's jim said to me he, he remembered it and he said honestly in that moment, when the boss sort of swiveled his head, looked towards me, he said, "You could have set me on fire, and I wouldn't even have noticed." It was, <laughs> I was just so scared. Anyway, he stumbled and stammered that he'd heard that the senior players were getting two thousand, and they were only getting one hundred. The players had been winding them up all the way, you know, saying, uh, you know, to the jokes like, "You're not feeling too grand today," and all that kind of stuff, and. Uh, but this two thousand pounds they were allegedly, allegedly getting, which of course they weren't. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, and Matt says, and Jim sort of stumbles it out, and Matt says, uh, "Is it in your contract?" And they said, "No, no, no, no." Oh, so it's a gift from the club, isn't it? Uh, yes, boss. And you don't want this gift from the club. You're not happy with this gift from the club. Well. No, no, Anyway, he said, you know, get out. So they both shambled out the door. And, but yes, you're quite right. They were forgiven um, because he realized, he probably realized that the senior players had burned them up. And uh, uh, anyway, they both um, featured again in the first team on occasion in the momentous season to come. Yeah, Fitzpatrick definitely played his part as um, there are a few injuries to vital areas of the team we'll talk about. It was a real squad effort this season, even though individuals once again um, illuminated the stage. Yeah. Um, the, the season begins with a charity shield at Old Trafford. 3-3 yeah. draw, the charity shield is shared. Spurs actually go 2-0 up in the charity shield. The second goal is scored by Pat Jennings in the eighth minute. Pat Jennings... Um, the legendary Spurs goalkeeper with hands like shovels mm. uses his, his boot to kick the ball the length of the pitch, bounces over Alex Stemner, goes into the Old Trafford net. 
Now, Stenley, obviously, has been signed to be the reliable goalkeeper and he's the first goalkeeper to have another goalkeeper score past him for United. So he hasn't started particularly well this season, even though he was obviously very reliable at the back end of the previous season. Um, Hopefully, there'll be a moment for him to redeem himself later in this episode. I'm sure we will come to that in Mm. a moment. Um, Yeah, just another note about that charity shield. Of course, it was um, memorable for the goal. Uh, but um, a, a new face on our in our narrative uh, appeared in that game and did well. His name was Brian Kidd. Um, oh, yeah, no, yeah. no doubt we'll hear about him too as this episode goes on. But there we go. Um, uh, the um, the season thus gets underway, now having had its curtain well and truly raised by that three all draw. Yeah, United started this. I mean, they, they start the season quite poorly. They lose it good in some part, but then the form really picks up. I mean, it's looking, it's two defeats before Christmas. They absolutely, at one point, look like they stroll into the title. They're odds on by the bookmakers to win the title. They have this run of unbeaten games. Then they lose a couple of games in um, October. The start of November, they lose at Ellen Road, but then they respond to that by going to Anfield. And winning 2-1, George Best scores two goals. Mm-hmm. And I talked about a goal that Alex Stepney would play a part in in the previous episode. This um, morning before this game at Anfield, Alex Stepney's asked to join in a training ground routine with um, mm-hmm. George Best and Paddy Creran. Best has gone to Anfield in previous weeks. He'd been to mm-hmm. see Liverpool play um, because back then... If play and I don't imagine this is a common occurrence, certainly not from any of the players that I've ever talked to. But because obviously football on television wasn't commonplace, mm. the best way for players to fight or anyone to find out about um, opponents was to actually either get a scout sent again, scouting the opposition, fairly new kind of thing. Even I mean, I'm pretty sure that when United did this and they did it this season and they did it in previous seasons as well. When they went abroad, it was pretty much for the jollies as much as it was to scout Real Madrid or a team like that. Yes. They enjoyed the, yes. the occasion of doing it. it. wasn't something Jimmy Murphy would do it on occasion. If there was a danger man, let's say they'd been drawn against Bristol in the Cup, then Jimmy Murphy would go down and detail this danger man and find out what, you know. Otherwise, it was, well, you knew the opponents from coming face to face with them. Mm-hmm. So it, it was an increasing occurrence, but not something that was commonplace even rarer for a player to go and watch the opposition, which George Best did. He went to Anfield just to watch how their players played because obviously Liverpool were becoming a very good side. They'd won a title. They, they were playing some great football. And the trick was that they were compressing a lot of space at Anfield. They were compressing opponents into their own half and they couldn't get out. So Best was watching this and he studied. He theorised that the big chances for him to make damage in this game were to exploit the space between the defender and the fullback on the halfway line. In order for this to happen, he would have to have Creran, reliable as he was, hitting the long pass over the top so he could run yeah. to it. There's an extra trick to this, um, as Stepney found out in, in the morning of the, this training session. Best went through, I mean, obviously it's going to go through because there's no one marking it. It's just an exercise for Creran to hit 50-yard passes and then run through on Stepney one-on-one. He keeps going through on him, and then the, this last time he goes through on him, he hits the ball against Stepney's shins deliberately to get it back and then put it into the net. 
Stephanie, obviously, we've told these stories before about Best. He did this kind of thing to goalkeepers on, on the training ground. He did it all the time. He did it to Harry Gregg. He did it to Jimmy Rimmer. He did it to, Harry Gre- uh, to Alex Stephanie. Nobody was safe. You know, his fellow players were, were not safe. He would always do something to take the mix. So Alex Stephanie's almost thinking nothing of this. It's just a regular trick that George Best has played. The next day, they're playing downfield. United are already 1-0 up. Stepney rolls the ball out to Creran. Creran's in exactly the same kind of position that he'd been in the passes the day before. And he's almost like he's watching a sense of deja vu. Yeah. In front of his eyes, Stepney, because he sees Creran do this pass. He's like, oh, we were working on that. The best has made the run that he was making. He's, he's caught out the defenders. He goes through one-on-one. And then the next thing that happens, Stepney like literally can't believe it because Best goes through in front of the cup, kicks the ball against the goalkeeper's leg. I think it was Lawrence in, in the yeah, Tommy Lawrence Probably. kicks the ball against Lawrence's legs deliberately to catch the rebound so he can put it in the net. I mean, he hasn't even shot. He's embarrassed the goalkeeper so much in front of the cup mm. that he's he's literally hit the ball against him to collect the rebound and, and scores. United win two one. It's incredible that I mean, Best had been telling people throughout this season, and we'll come to another story just uh, mm. probably towards the conclusion of this episode. But this was the kind of thing that he was doing. We mentioned the corner in a previous episode where you know, being practicing with Jimmy Ryan, he was mm. telling teammates that he was going to try these extravagant things, and then mm. they were watching him actually do it. It's one yeah. thing, and these were genuine moments of magic. It tells you something, Paddy, that he's got yeah. the game in the cusp of his. He's uh, like stranglehold of George. You're ab- you're absolutely right. It, it, you know, doing it, just scoring really terrific goals in front of the cop was not enough for him. He had to make it interesting for himself. Yeah, and, and it reminds me. The only other instance I can remember uh, was that Terry Venables once said that when he had Gascoigne, you know, this is what geniuses do. Uh, when he had Gascoigne, they used to amuse themselves after training uh, by the, what's now called the crossbar challenge, you know, seeing how many times in a row you can hit the crossbar from uh, uh, 30 yards. Um, but this bored Gascoigne because he could do it all day. Um, so what he used to do to make it to even it up with the other players, make it more interesting for himself. He used to miss kick against the crossbar. In other words, when the ball was rolled to him or bounced to him, he would shin it deliberately. It would still hit the crossbar or he'd let it bounce off his knee or, or you know, he'd, he'd miss kick, he'd slice it and it would go and come back and hit the crossbar. It just... George was the same, just had to make it more interesting for himself. And uh, and that's what geniuses do. Yeah. Um, George, on a personal mission, knowing that there's the European Cup at play, knowing that that's the stage in which he can add the Ballon d'Or to his accolades and officially get that recognition of being the best player in the world, which he was yeah. absolutely desperate for. Yeah. Uh, so the European Cup campaign starts. United go through against the Bernians, particularly rough game against Sarajevo. Um, yes. The United are through to the semi-final in no time, um, where they're drawn against Real Madrid. Um, Busby describes as a, so the quote that is in your magnificent book. He, he says, "Losing to Real Madrid would be like losing to a brother." Yes. It shows you the. I mean, the, we talked about the friendlies that Madrid had played in the post-Munich years, so there was a, a real bond there between the clubs. Yes. 
Um, but United were becoming distracted by that European Cup campaign. Uh, in the league, there was three key games that they'd lost after European defeats, and they'd also lost against City Old Trafford. So it um, all settled to this final day, basically, where United came up against Sunderland Old Trafford and, and City travelled to um, to Newcastle. But Newcastle, they couldn't expect any favours from because United had just beat them 6-0 in the previous week. So that even if Newcastle were going to try their best against City, they weren't expecting much. Um, City, on the day, win. Um, and they win the title. United, what, what would you put down their um, inability to win the league? You look through the squad statistics, Nobby Styles misses off of the league season, Dennis Law misses off the league season. Yes. Missing a, a few key presences in there. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned George Best's great performance at Anfield. He was actually playing out of position that day. He was playing in Dennis Law's yeah. sort of role that day because Dennis was injured. Dennis had also managed... After three years of good behaviour, he'd managed to get himself sent off for a punch-up with Ian Ewer um, in, in the Arsenal game, uh, which ironically persuaded Matt Busby that Ian Ewer might be a good signing for United because he had that Falksian uh, aggression, Bill Falksian <laughs> aggression. Um, but, um, yeah, the, um, the, the, the I think although Busby described the league is the number one priority. Um, it, he described it as the bread and butter that earns us the slices of cake of the, that were Europe. Um, I think undoubtedly the desire to delay the bogey of Real Madrid to get to the European final just maybe took their eye off the ball. Also, it you know you 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 have to admit. That, that, that Manchester City posed a great challenge. Yeah. Malcolm Allison was there with Joe Mercer as a partnership. They were, you know, they, they, could, they could slug it out with Busby and Murphy. You know, they, they were a great partnership of, of the wise old head and the innovative, you know, um, coach, um, inspirational and innovative coach that Allison was. Um, and so, yes, City, they had to work at Newcastle for that victory. It was 4-3. It was an exciting match, but they undoubtedly were, were worthy champions. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, uh, um, uh, yes, in fact, that night when City, the City party got back triumphant uh, into Manchester, I'm sure Mike Summerby, one of their stars, Lee Bell and Somerby were sort of City's answer to Law Best and Charlton. Um, a great period for Mancunian rivalry. I think that, that, that Somerby would have, uh, in fact, he did uh, meet George for a, for a Saturday night drink. And, and I think, you know, there was a general acceptance that, um, that City just had edged it, as indeed they did, as indeed the history book sure they did. Um, but um, as you say, you've, 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 you, you know, the stress is on Europe now, especially now, because four days after the end of the title, um, City are, um, and United are back in Europe um, with a massive match to play. Yeah, they, um, 
Uh, final note on the league. Um, you mentioned the camaraderie between the sets of players. I think there was a, a live telecast when we did the film um, True Genius for, for BT yeah. Sport. They found a great piece of footage, a telecast on the, I think it was on the evening of the, the title win, where yeah. Busby, Busby and Mercer uh, were on, on television together. Um, and Busby congratulated them, and they were in the city. Um, party were saying to um, United, you know, you've now got to go and win the European Cup, which yes. you wouldn't imagine that kind of. Um, That's right. The, 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 yeah, the, you wouldn't, the, you certainly wouldn't be able to say publicly now. But the, um, yes, <coughs> excuse me, but the Madrid game was only four days after that title disappointment. Yeah. I think just a couple of things to put the season. In a bit of perspective, I, I, I should have mentioned it earlier, there were uh, a couple of developments in the team. You'll no doubt refer to them as we round things up at the end, but Francis Burns, who's for some, well, this season was a season in which he was eventually overshadowed. But yeah. he, like Brian Kidd, came into the first team picture and did very well. Uh, in fact, Shay Brennan, uh, the usual thing Tony Dunn was switched to make way for someone who'd come in. It was done with Bobby Noble, and now it was done. Um, you know, in this in, in, uh, again. So Francis Burns did make a very good Scottish uh, young was a youngster who came in, but youngsters were not universally popular. Even though, as we've talked about, it, it was fundamental to the Manchester United style. Um, or, or, or methodology under Busby and later Ferguson, of course. Um, but it wasn't always popular. And the letters page of the pink, the, the, the legendary Manchester sporting paper, which came out on Saturday night, which, you know, if you wanted to know about football in Manchester, you read the pink's letters column. And it contained, um, in mid-April, and you're asking why United didn't win the league, uh, one, uh, the, the, the Manchester, the, the, the evening news was edited by Tom Henry, a mad keen United fan. Um, and uh, the, there were so many letters that, that they sort of, they carried an article above the letters saying, problems facing Matt, the rank intolerance of so-called fans. And one of the letters read, Busby should have signed at least four players. They needn't be brilliant. Just good professionals with guts and maturity, like Tony Coleman of City. It's maturity that wins the European Cup. It won't be one with key positions filled by young boys yet to learn their job. And um, anyway, Matt hit back in the, in the Daily Express where he had a column uh, about that. And uh, mentioning injuries and so on. But... Yeah, there was. This is April, and yeah. now United actually are in the semi-finals of the European Cup. So you do win something with kids, and uh, or with kid. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's the league more or less. But bear in mind, this was not a season in which Manchester United didn't have nitpicking fans on their back. That was all. Yeah. Uh, so yes, we're off to Madrid, are we? Yeah, and via Manchester, of course, United had won the first leg. George Best with a firecracker of a volley. Um, it's one of those goals that I think if you watch it on an highlights clip or a montage, that it doesn't 
it just looks like a normal, well, it's a decent volley, but the more that you watch it, the more you appreciate how difficult the technique is to do what he did, um, the way that he shook the ball and, and score. A momentous win, really, because United, um, I always like to do these comparative journeys down history, and that's what this podcast is here for. I always look at the Juventus trilogy of the late 90s, where we United played against them in 96, mm. 97, 97, 98, 98, 99, and obviously because of what happened with the Babes being struck down in the way that they were, we never got to see the continuation of that journey against um, the Real Madrid players, you know, the likes mm. of Edwards and Coleman. Mm. Obviously, these guys had picked up the baton, and, and Best, who was the... As Stepney would literally later say, he basically call him like the crystallization of the babes in another human, you know, the way that he played the game and the spirit in which he played it. Um, and he'd scored this goal, and obviously it was a massive deal for George Best to score against Real Madrid because he'd idolized Di Stefano and, and Puskas earlier in, in, in those friendlies that we talked about. So the relationship yeah. there is strong. Um, when they go to Real Madrid, it's another of those Busby moments, isn't it, Paddy, where maybe for once, like the Benfica one, because it's it's literally the second biggest away game in United's history after the Benfica yeah. one, that mm-hmm. Busby's not, not exactly reticent, but a bit carefully. He doesn't want the, the players to to surrender the big occasion. And that is kind of why he drops Francis Burns, who's played in all the European games. Mm-hmm. He drops him for Shea Brennan. He's, he's kind of thinking, no... Maybe if he does hit back at the creeks and, and thinks I can defend my own methods, mm. he, he does see the value in experience and he comes yeah, yeah. in Madrid. Absolutely. Bear in mind that Dennis Law is 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 out now is because of the injury you referred to. Um, so you know that that is obviously uh, crippling. Oh, this is a picture from the Bernabeu. Yes, mm. there we are. With uh, in the middle for those listening on audio in the uh, middle of the front row is David Sadler, who's come back into the picture. By now, he's actually played for England, but at centre-half. However, now, having played centre-forward for United, he's playing a sort of midfield, attacking midfield role, I think you would call it, wouldn't you? Um, And next to him is Brian Kidd, um, who has come into the into the reckoning uh, brian who is still not had his 19th birthday um so that's the team uh, as always looking absolutely beautiful in shirts without logos uh, as they pose for pictures uh, with grim-faced determination i think uh, at the bernabeu yeah united go two nil down um after pledging to keep it tight they pull yeah. a goal back through an own goal, and but the three one down at half time, and it leads to um, one of those extraordinary half time team talks, doesn't it? Yes, uh, as you say, they with the three thousand United followers in the crowd of a hundred and twenty five thousand in the Bernabeu, and uh, anyway, the um, Amancio had uh, scored the second goal, and. Even though Styles had been put on him like a limpet, and uh, as as I said, uh, as I said in my book, there as the halftime whistle sounded, it felt like Mancio's goal was match point, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and United reached the dressing room; it was silent. 
And Stepney recalled, we were just sitting there wondering what Matt was going to say. And he had his trilby on and his pipe in his mouth. And he never said a thing. Don't forget, you only had 10 minutes, said Stepney in those days. And Matt was, Matt was as silent as everybody else. The players' heads, of course, had dropped. And then just before the bell went, he stood up and started laughing at us. We were stunned and he says, what's going on? It's your greatest chance of reaching the European Cup final. You should be enjoying yourselves. You've attacked teams all season. Why aren't you doing it tonight? And then he invoked the name of Manchester United. You know, Ferguson was often to do that. He wanted that ringing in their ears as they went back out. And then at the very last moment, oh, and by the way, he said, it's 3-2 on aggregate. If you get an early goal, you win. Suddenly, this sort of match point turns into juice, you know? That they're thinking, yeah, we're, we're, we're about to get, get equal. And the heads rose from the floor and they went out just with a totally different attitude. Um, uh, and and what, uh, yes, I'm just going back to the narrative. Another high ball sailed towards the goalkeeper, Bettencourt, and there was Sadler, who must be told to get forward if you get a chance, because Sadler's good in the air. And uh, the keeper hesitated, and Sadler waved a foot. It was, it was not the, wouldn't win any goal of the season competitions. Um, but you could hear as the goal, as the ball bobbled into the net, you could hear the 3,000 from Manchester. United, United. You could hear them now. And the rest of the crowd were a little bit worried. And uh, that was. Did United had, or Madrid had been warned? Watch Manchester United late in a game; they never give up. Uh, it's a bit of a footnote, this, but they've been warned. That Madrid had been warned by Julio Iglesias. You know him, this, the musician. <laughs> He'd been a goalkeeper when he was a kid at Man United at, at Real Madrid, and he but he'd been over to England. He'd seen quite a lot of. United, his it, career had been ended by injury by, by now, and he was making his way in the in the music world. <clears throat> but he he won Madrid. He says, "Watch this Man United. They never give up. So watch them in the late stage of a game." Seventy eighth minute, best took possession on the right, slipped past Manolo Sanchez, got to the byline, pulled back an inviting low ball. However. The teammates' hearts sank again because who was trundling onto it but Bill Foods? We wanted Dennis Law. He's in a hospital in Prestwich, I think. Uh, back home, he wasn't there. Brian Kidd would have been fine. Uh, anybody except Bill Foods. But no striker could have made a better job of converting Best's cutback. Bill Fulks side-footed it, steered it away from Betancourt and into the far corner. Uh, John Aston Jr. said it was probably the first time Bill had ever side-footed a football in his life, but he made a super job of it. No striker could have done better. 
And that was Phil Fultz, a Munich survivor of 10 years earlier, 58, this was 68, that put United into the final. And another Munich side, uh, survivor, Bobby Charlton, was the captain, because Dennis had uh, lost the captaincy to, to Bobby Charlton, who burst into tears, not for the first, not for the last time, hmm. and uh, just sank to the ground. The emotion was almost palpable, and everybody knew that it was about Bill Fultz, it was about Bobby Charlton, and it was about Matt Busby. Every player went to Matt Busby and embraced him. There's some lovely images, I think, particularly of George Best. United were in for the first English club to reach the European Cup final. And what's more, it was at Wembley. Yeah. Against Benfica, a team, a great um, opponent of the past and obviously a great team yeah. of the past. Containing the great Eusebio, still. Um, yeah. I liken the, the Bill Folks goal in the in the semi final in, in, in True Genius, the book that I wrote. Um, yeah. I, I liken it to the chief in the scene in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest where they're playing basketball and the chief is just rampaging unstoppably from basket to basket. He, he's like a lumbering wardrobe, and you know there's no point in trying to stop him because he's just careering this week human weight around them when you watch bill folks <laughs> lumbering up into the semi into the into this penalty area there's a kind of feeling about like that about it like he's just charging in um and the finish is yeah if you watch it it's uncanny it should it just doesn't look like it should be scored by a center back but um yeah. and it's so fitting it's so fitting and one of the most um poetic goals in united history really yes by Bill, um, and and really probably even more than considering Bobby Charlton's about to get his own name in the headline act, fit more fitting than anyone else. Even if Charlton had scored it, considering what was going to come yes. with Charlton, it's fitting the folks at his moment in the limelight. Um, yes. Only only two goals he scored for United, and that was one of them. Just, oh, amazing! Just amazing. Absolutely amazing! And it was uh, Benfica in the final, as you say. Styles against uh, Eusebio would once again be a play within a play. And um, it was also an opportunity to the return to Wembley uh, for Styles and Charlton to add the greatest club prize in the world um, to the greatest prize in the international world because, of course, two years earlier they'd won the World Cup with England. And there's Matt at Wembley, uh, the pitch even at the end of the season, looking magnificent. Um, so, uh, oh, uh, just uh, one other note. Now, you might mention it later, but uh, Footballer of the Year uh, was George Best, of course. Um, the Two years earlier, Bobby Charlton had won it, um, but the year afterwards, his big brother, Jack of Leeds, had won it. Um, but now the honour was back at Old Trafford and there could be little argument uh, about that. He weighed in with uh, 32 goals in 52 appearances so far. Although I'm probably going ahead of myself here. Yeah, um, a little but bit. No, but, but no Dennis Law for the final. He's, as I say, he's already in the hospital. And uh, a great chance for the final 
Um, it's 29th of May, 1968, which happened to be Brian Kidd's 19th birthday. Yeah, um, a great game, really absorbing. Um, a lot of people would look back at it and say, critically, it's not a great game. But I think may maybe historically now with, with that sort of nostalgic sense that you go back and watch it, it is absorbing. You've got um, John Aston putting in a, a man of the match performance. United, with, again, with this multifaceted formation where they can play Sadler in any position, Styles can move around. Obviously, mm. Kid's going to move around. Best's going to move around. You get the feeling that there's only Tony Dunn anchored to the left-hand side with Aston in front of him. And Stepney yeah. goal is about the only rigidity in the side. Everything else is moving around. Yeah, yeah it's true. It's true. And, and, and the... Law, the fact that Law didn't play, and and that um, that uh, Aston and um, and Brian Kidd both did, brings about an extraordinary stat about this final. In 1948, United played Blackpool in the FA Cup final. Uh, the years that end in eight are always momentous at Manchester United. So the um, the there were only three bought players in that team. And you think, well, yes, Rocker and, and, and you know, had started the Mujak and, and, and the youth policy, of course. And of course, those were days where, you know, you didn't go out and buy players from Torino or, 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 or whatever. So it seemed like a different era. And yet, because Law was replaced by Kidd, United had eight, the same number of homegrown players in 68 as they'd had in 48. They were, only three bought players were Stepney from Chelsea, um, Tony Dunn, who cost £5,000 from Shelburne, I think it was, and Crerin, what was it, 45 from Celtics or 55, something like that. Uh, cost a total of 116, I once worked, worked out, 116000 and the rest of the team, Brennan, Fuchs, Sadler, Styles, Best, Charlton, Kidd and Aston, had all come through the United Youth System. Amazing. Yeah. Um, it is, especially considering the, the boast from, a boast pledge from Murphy that he would deliver another Youth Cup winning side. And now they were the, the young sprouts um, mm. coming through in that. In that yeah. Um, in, in that team, as well as the Munich survivors as well. Um, the, the final, obviously, Paddy, I mean, without labouring the point, it's one of the most emotionally significant days in Manchester United history. Um, it's a tight game. The Benfica players, obviously, well aware of George Best. Um, they've got two men marking him um, and then another one following just in case. Um, yes. Literally, that's the kind of man-marking system they've got. It's a great story that um, Antonio Simoes told me about the um, about the final. At one point, one of the players swiped at George, and George basically turned around and did the, the you know the finger to the head like you're loco, you're crazy. And the player actually said back in Portuguese, but said it to Simoes, "I must be crazy to be marking him." <laughs> Um, so he was actually admitting, yeah, I agree with you, but I'm, I'm not going to show weakness because obviously George wouldn't have spoke um, Portuguese. So yeah, um, best it, it made a pledge before the the games um, this this year. It, actually, he wanted to get to Wembley in a cup final, but United thought so getting there had, um, in the FA Cup had been ended in a third round again by Spurs. 
he basically made this pledge where if he got to Wembley, he was going to score this goal where he was going to trap it with his butt with his buttocks. Mm. He was going to trap the high ball with his buttocks, collect it on the ground, run past a couple of players, round the goalkeeper. And he hadn't quite decided in his fantasy whether he preferred to stop and edit in off the line or back mm. it. He told mm. a couple of different variations where he'd do one of either. And the joke was basically that he wouldn't dare do it because Dennis Lowe would grab him and kick him because mm. it would be too disrespectful. However, Dennis Lowe is not on the pitch today. So <laughs> if George can just get a moment of freedom, he can do something like it. Um, United, uh, they play this absorbing game. They go a goal up. Um, Benfica equalised. In the dying moment, it's like one of those... Um, What's the last stage of a heavyweight match where you know that it's going to end on points and they're just throwing a slug at each other anyway. Benfica, though, they have a moment where Tim always puts Eusebio through. He goes through to the edge of the box. He unleashes an absolute thunderbolt of a shot. Mm. You look at it, um, and it looks like a comfortable save for mm. Alex. And, and to all intents and purposes, it is. But another goalkeeper who wasn't as sure and steady as Stepney would have definitely struggled with that. You mm. know for sure, although he never admitted it, that there's some abdomen pain going on for Alex Stepney with the way that he you know, catches that shot. Mm. Um, it is, without a shadow of a doubt, the most important save in Manchester United history because it keeps United in the European Cup. Mm-hmm. We go back to that previous summer, so um, with that defeat um, against Benfica, you save your... He'd had a penalty saved by Stepney, or it mm. past him, he rubbed him on the head, and Stepney had been quite aggrieved at that. Yeah, and um, he'd seen this as vindication basically that um, he'd saved the show. Yeah, that's that's why he, 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 you know, people say when Eusebio went over to Stepney to congratulate him on the save, and Stepney doesn't shake his hand, he, he, he just throws the ball out to Tony Dunn. Um, he hadn't, he, Stephanie said he didn't deliberately snub Eusebio's generous sporting gesture, but he did think back to that ruffling of the hair in uh, Los Angeles, I think it was, in the framework. Um, but the main, the main thing he insisted was to start the counter-attack by uh, swinging it out to Tony Dunn. Interesting that Tony Dunn, I think, had a part, if you look at that, go, that save again, I think Tony Dunn had a part in it because, as always, this incredibly reliable footballer was in the right place. He'd, he'd got close to Eusebio and conceivably made him shoot earlier than he otherwise would. Yeah. If, if you look at it, you... And yet, at the same time, he peeled away as soon as Stepney made the save to provide a, a counter-attacking option. And that was where, where the ball went. So it was... It was uh, nice. It's nice to revisit the details of that game. Uh, but as you say, we're we're one all now. Uh, Charlton has put United ahead with yeah. a header, wasn't it, from the yeah. slanting cross by uh, by David Sadler, and uh, the equaliser uh, Grassa had equalised. Um, and then the game, you know, it it could go either way, couldn't it? As, as that save proved. Yeah, gets to full time. Um, 
as the players are receiving treatment for cramp and, and exhaustion, Jimmy Murphy starts cajoling the players. He's saying, look at the Benfica players over there. They're shattered. He's ordering the United players to get up to show, basically, that they're physically... He feels that the Aston, who's run the fullback ragged, John Aston, and although best not been outstanding at this point, give the wingers the ball, Busby says, because this team is tiring. Uh, and it, it, it proved good because it proved good advice because uh, they're suddenly delivered. Yeah. Paddy, I think this, because of your poetic delivery of, of moments like this, it's best left to you. But we have this moment very early in the um, first period of extra time. United are sort of keeping the ball at the back. Stepney decides to um, lump the ball up the field. Yeah, they told and... the wingers to stay up. That was, uh, that was you know, none, none of this constructive rubbish. Um, so, uh, yeah, he opted for route one, did Stepney. Booted it long. Kid got the back of his head and flicked it on. And Best ran by. It was 50-50 between him and Jacinto Santos. 50-50, no contest. A delicate touch had Jacinto scything warm air. It was a very warm, uh, very warm, sultry night. I mean. And suddenly the only obstacle was an advancing, scrambling goalkeeper. A gossamer thread would have given George Best more trouble. In an instant he was round José Enrique and the ball was rolling into the net. He didn't then succumb to the temptation to stoop down and head it over the line, I'm glad to say. And that was in the 92nd minute. By the 99th minute, that was it. United were 4-1 up. And the celebrations would safely begin. Uh, there were photographers in uh, Dennis Law's hospital bedroom. It was in Wally Range, not Presley's. Um, and Law in his pajamas joined in the celebrations. Uh, Kid, on his 19th birthday, had uh, got the goal after a sort of bout of head tennis. Yeah. And uh, then Kid set one up for Charlton, a nice crisp half volley at the near post. Yeah. So that was that was it. And, and although Kid was young enough to be Bill Folks's son, but uh, again, this was Folks's night. It was the Munich Survivors' night. Folks, Charlton, Busby, and uh, once again, Charlton's in tears. And there's George having scored this this iconic goal, um, turning round. Um, as if he's, I don't know, on the playground. <laughs> Extraordinary this. A sweat-soaked Bobby Charlton, Alex Stepney behind him. Oh, um, if people can't see, uh, the behind uh, with two arms held aloft is Bill Fuchs. So uh, a, a lovely Munich flavour to the celebrations. Alex Stepney, who's also in that picture, did say that Munich was never specifically discussed, never, among the squad. May have been privately between Fulks and Charlton, but it was never a subject for discussion in the 10 years between the death of a great team and the creation of a great and unprecedented achievement. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> 
United um, obviously celebrated through the night. Um, this is a picture of some of the uh, families of the, those who died. Um, you've got the, the Edwards family, the family of Eddie Coleman. Kurt Wally's wife is in there as well. Um, they were all invited to the banquet after the game. And um, yes. a couple of them, you know, not entirely sure whether or not they should partake in it. I remember there was a quote from Sarah Edwards, Duncan's mum, saying that, you know, she didn't really want to be there at the stadium, you know, because of, you know, what had happened with um, with Duncan. She, she, it was all a bit too raw for her to sort of. Yeah. He'll, I'd love, just as the um, 1958 um, final when they'd been invited to that as well so um, some obviously very difficult things but I think there was a very um, strong feeling like you said Munich never overtly mentioned in fact never referenced at all by um, by the players but once once the, the cup had been won and all the families were there there was a massive outlay of emotion wasn't there Nobody shied away from it. No, no. I mean, it, it, I think it was Crerand who, who recalled the, the, the banquet afterwards um, that it was the only time I saw Matt Busby intoxicated, but it wasn't that he'd had an awful lot to drink. Um, he was it, just intoxicated by the glory. Uh, the last time I saw him at the party, said Paddy Crerand, he was singing What a Wonderful World, the Louis Armstrong song. He must have sung it a million times that night. And uh, back in Manchester, where the crowds were waiting to get uh, to welcome the team back, this is only seven weeks after the Manchester Evening News feature about problems facing, it was headline, problems facing Matt. The headline now was 250,000 will greet the kings of Europe. And... Uh, now, about 10,000 of them met the United train at Piccadilly um, the following day, Piccadilly Station, 8.24 p.m. it arrived, and an open-top bus flanked by mounted police took Busby and his players through the cheering, chanting crowds to Albert Square. Uh, for the second consecutive year, a Bell's Hill hand was on the European Cup because uh, Billy McNeil, who came from Busby country, had lifted yeah. it for Celtic the year earlier. And uh, it was difficult, actually, to prize Matt's hands from that cup all through the celebrations. <laughs> Normally quite self-effacing, but, you know, it meant so much to him to hold that cup. And indeed, even Eusebio had said uh, after the cup final in the bitterness of defeat, I, I, I must say I'm glad for Matt Busby. Um, again, a reference to Munich and what had happened 10 years earlier. Yeah. And, uh, oh, sorry, finally, just one more Busby note. Um, the very next day after the celebrations in Albert Square, he became Sir Matt Busby. He was football's fourth night after Stanley Rouse, his friend, Stanley Matthews, and Alf Ramsey. Yeah. And, and, and well deserved as well um, yes. for the. Um, conquest, um, Benfica, yeah, fitting opponents really for for the showpiece occasion, and you know they they'd give it their all, and and you know very gracious in defeat as well, um, yeah. very emotional experience for them all. Um, there's a great story about Jimmy Murphy after the after the defeat, he went back into the Benfica dressing room and offered them all whiskey. Um, yeah, 
consideration, <laughs> uh, which is, sounds a little bit like Jimmy Murphy. Yes. <laughs> you always have a little bit of whiskey with him. Um, yeah, so let's go through the squad statistics for this season. Um, Alex Stemmy, obviously the first choice goalkeeper, 53 appearances, 41 in the league. That means Jimmy Rimmer makes his debut. One single league appearance. Southport born goalkeeper, extremely, extremely talented. And I yes. Besides that, um, but only just 20 this season. He was part of the FA Youth Cup winning team of 1964. Uh, way too good to be a number two. But United are spending so much money on goalkeepers that they, you know, they weren't going to give up a, a player that came along for free and was this reliable. In fact, there's a fair argument here with Alex Stepney and Jimmy Rimmer. United probably had their safest uh, pet quadruple of hands in in history at one moment in time. Yes, so, I would agree with that. Yeah. Rimmer, of course, was not. Uh, he'd been on the he was on the bench at, uh, with United at Wembley, but this this was to yeah. be. Far from his last acquaintance with the, the European Cup, because uh, he was to be with Villa when they won it um, in the 1980s, something like that. Yeah, and they, um, the, he's actually rated as Aston Villa's greatest ever goalkeeper, which yep. tells the esteem in which he's yep. rightly held. And Jimmy Rimmer, um, an absolutely smashing gentleman as well. Um, I'm pleased to report, although I, nobody needs my character reference. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Jimmy certainly doesn't, but I'm going to give it him anyway. Um, yeah. the, the fullbacks then, you mentioned obviously there's a bit of a change this season because of what happened to Bobby Noble and the experience of different players moving on. Frank Koppel, um, first of all, Scottish fullback again, he was back up for either position. He mm -hmm. was actually the first one called in to um, provide... Before Francis Burns, yeah. Yeah, he was given that chance first of all, but um, you know, is it Capable of playing both positions, uh, yeah. the fullback predominantly left back, um, but obviously Burns was seen as a better option. Um, Frank isn't likely to be a player who gets many mentions on this podcast. He'll get one in 1975, which is very obscure, but um, in, the, in this series, probably not likely to get many. So I did want to break the pattern and talk about what he does a little bit after United because he went to Dundee United, had a very yeah. successful career. Um, unfortunately, suffered with um, Alzheimer's and vascular dementia. Um, mm -hmm. It was one of the first prominent footballers to be really open about this. Um, yes. and he, died, he died at the age of just 65. But his memory uh, is, is continued by his wife, who, who works tirelessly yeah. uh, for Alzheimer's-related causes. And um, so Frank, Frank will certainly never be forgotten. I'm glad you've mentioned him. He... he, he um, um, you know his name is, it definitely it carries on in a, in, a, in the most constructive way. Yeah, well, one um, one appearance and one substitute appearance this season. Um, Tony Dunn, thirty-seven appearances in the league in a single goal, um, and forty-nine appearances in all competitions, which brings us on to Francis Burns. Mm -hmm. uh, this season, he makes um, forty-nine appearances in all competitions with two league goals, thirty-six league appearances. And obviously, you know, at the end, he, he succumbs to Shea Brennan's greater experience. But he only plays, Brennan only plays 17 games this season, scores a single goal, 13 in, in the league. And I think we've mentioned Dunn's, um, Dunn's 49 appearances in a single goal, 37 in the league as well. Um, Pat Curran, halfback line, impressive in, in the irrepressive in, in the 53 appearances. He makes a single goal, 41 appearances in the league. 
Nobby Styles' 20 appearances in the league, 28 in all competitions, he's injury hit. That means that John Fitzpatrick comes in and fair, plays his fair share of games yeah. in that sort of halfback line. 18 um, appearances, 18 starts and, tw- and three yeah. substitute appearances, 17 appearances in the league. Bill Folks, yeah. a few injuries as well, which means that David Sadler obviously is moving around the side. Um, Folks, only 31 appearances. Two goals this season, obviously we know one of them, another one in the league as well, in 24 league appearances. David Sadler, 41 appearances in the league, 52 in all competitions, six goals in all competitions and three in the league, three in the European Cup, of course. Um, John Aston, man of the match in the Wembley final, 11 goals in 46 appearances, 11 in 37 in the league. George Best, 32 goals in 53 games in all competitions, 28 in 41 in the league. Um, just a, an incredible season from Best as he um, as he cements his legacy as, as the greatest player in the world. Brian Kidd, I don't have the screenshot for him this time, but he will certainly be on the next episode. Um, 17 goals in his maiden season in 50 appearances. That's an incredible tally. 49 appearances before his 19th birthday. Um, 15 in 38 of those in the league. Dennis Lowe restricted to 10 goals in 28 games, just 7 in 23 in the league. David Hurd uh, makes a small number of appearances after he comes back from his broken leg, just one goal in eight games, six of those in the league, which leads us on to the final player in this um, episode. Alan Gallagher. before I get on to that, about Francis Byrne, just very, very... Um, oh, no, we, we already did. We already talked about the European Games, um, and how unfortunate it was with that. You already covered that magnificently earlier. So let's go to Gowlin. Um, that is one goal in five games this season, all of those in the league. Another contender for one of the most intelligent players that United have ever had. Um, he'd been mm-hmm. at Manchester University studying economics, nicknamed Bambo. I yeah. Colleagues... Um, Tall and an elegant, classy player, very good on the ball and inside forward. But those were going out of fashion now, so yeah, um, he was going to have to be either a midfielder or a winger or a striker. He, he didn't have the um, agility to be a winger, you would say. So he was obviously going to be a midfielder or a striker. Um, yeah, and he, he went on to um, to have a, a very good career as a centre forward with uh, in partnership with. Um, well, at one stage, Malcolm McDonald at Newcastle. Yeah. Um, and then as a, a super sort of foil for Frank Worthington at Bolton. So he had a very good career, Alan Gowling, and um, and and then did well, as, as you rightly point out. He was more than a footballer and uh, had a very good business career after leaving the game. Yeah, absolutely. And still remains involved in the former Players Association as well. Yes. Um, Tactics, this is a 4 2 4 now. Um, obviously, Lowe would normally be playing in that forward line, but due to the um, number of appearances, you've got to put Sadler and Kidd in yeah. there because of the. Uh, and you've got to give Burns his, his due credit and put him at left back because he was the yeah. predominant left back this season. So that's how basically United looked this season. Um, they were in the same colours as usual red, white, and red. Um, I believe it was the Retox. Yes, it was. And the um, the waist strip was all white with red socks. The blue shirt, white shirt, and socks was um, the normal combination, but they changed, of course, the blue sh- uh, blue shorts for the final, the European Cup final. Um, the European, uh, the United review remains the same with the handshake on the front, and we've finally 
sell the house so the man's not yep. crippling yeah um, the proper handshake right yeah absolutely I'm, I'm glad that we, we we sorted that out even though it was 60 years yeah. ago yeah, it's been something that's been gnawing away at this podcast for 15 episodes, but I think we're okay now. Yeah, our best, obviously, top scorer, average attendance, all Trafford up to uh, 57,790. Elsewhere in football, City were champions, of course. West Brom won the FA Cup, Leeds won the League Cup. Just a little note on that um, summer's European Championships. England were the losing semi finalists. Um, but those days it was just the semi final and the final. Italy won in the semi finals on coin toss before winning in the final, um, 2 0. Um, that's it for this episode. Um, we'll be back next time to um, cover what will be another momentous season in Manchester United history. If you're watching the video, please give it a like and subscribe and join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening to the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe, give us a review on the platform you're listening on. We will be back next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.